Chapter 8 The Arrogance of Power Verse 1 And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, and all his host together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria, and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, unto the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all I have. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children. Yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives, and for my children, and for my silver, and for my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Where therefore he sent unto the messengers of Ben-Hadid, Tell thy lord the king, all that thou didst send for thy servant, for at the first I will do, but this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him the word again. And Bedhadid said unto him, and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of the Samaria shall suffice for handfuls of the people that follow me. The king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself that he put it off. And it came to pass, when Ben-Hadid heard this message, as he was drinking, he and the kings and the pavilions, and he said unto his servants, Set yourselves in array, that they set themselves in array against the city. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Even by the young men of the princes of provinces. And then he said, who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. Then he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and they were two hundred and thirty-two. And after them he numbered all the people, even the children of Israel being seven thousand. And they went out at noon, but Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, he and the kings and the thirty and the two kings that helped him. And the young men of the princes and provinces went out first. And Ben-Hadad sent out 
and they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria. And he said, Will they come out for peace? Take them alive. Will they come out for war? Take them alive. So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city and the army which followed them, and they slew every one of his men. And the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadid, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots, and slew the Syrians with great slaughter. First Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 21. Elijah and Elisha are absent in this chapter, but the issues are the same. Man's way versus God's way. Here we have a dramatic and telling example of the arrogance of power, of sinful power. Ben-Hadid's sudden invasion of Israel was an excellent example of one of the most common of the world's evils, a blind and warped foreign policy. Even in terms of his humanism, Ben-Hadid's foreign policy was insane, but sin is always a form of madness. The great power and threat of the day was Assyria. The forces of Assyria were moving in the direction of Syria and Israel. Humanism, as it faced this crisis, had two answers. First, some of the small states like Israel hoped to see a coalition of states in alliance against Assyria. This was, in fact, Ahab's policy. At the indecisive battle of Agar in 853 B.C. against Shalmaneser III, 850-824 B.C., of Assyria, there were alliances of ten kings, including Ahab and Syria, against the Assyrian advanced. Such an alliance, however, involved a radical religious compromise. Since alliance requires at least a toleration of the Allies' faith. Second, Syria looked to an alliance of the anti-Assyrian states at times. But when the immediate Assyrian threat was absent, and hoped to duplicate the Assyrian imperialism by conquering its prospective allies and making them subjects and forced servants of the Syrian power. The ultimatum issued by Ben-Hadid to Ahab is commonplace in history, and in altered forms it is still very much for us. He demanded the wealth of Ahab and his wives and children. To strip a conquered nation of its wealth was to render further resistance less likely. After World War I, Germany was dramatically stripped of wealth by demands for indemnities and reparations. After World War II, Germany was not only stripped, but also partitioned. To strip an enemy of its wealth is thus an ancient practice, sometimes brutally, sometimes with disguises imposed upon the loser. Germany practiced it in the Franco-Prussian War. It had previously often been practiced on Germany. 
After World War II, the Soviet Union openly and brutally exacted land, slave labor, and all kinds of wealth and equipment and other forms from Germany. Western powers were more discreet and legal. They seized foreign assets, patents and the like. On the whole, however, the state, especially the modern state, sees as its chief enemy its own people, and it preys on them daily, on one pretext or another. The demand for the conquered rulers' wives, commonly also those of prominent men, was aimed at humiliation and degradation of the conquered to shame and disgrace their manhood by commanding their lives at the most intimate point, copulation with their wives. This same arrogance of power is still with us. Adultery is especially appealing to many, not simply for its sexual pleasure, but for the pleasure of degrading and humbling another man by commanding his wife Men in positions of power often delight in this kind of sexuality. An internationally known historian who died recently was widely known among graduate students for this trait. Because of his power, he could assure his graduate students of good positions. He demanded as his due their wives. In one famous incident, there was a student complied grudgingly and resentfully. He openly took the wife during a party in his home and into a bedroom with an announced declaration of his purpose. The wives, also hungry for power and advancement, would comply and would despise their husbands. As a secondary factor, Ben headed by taking over Ahab's wives, would also assume that the treaty relationship with the countries for which these women came. Royal marriages were contracted to establish closer ties with other nations. Ben-Hadid would thus become the new factor in the set relationships. Another demand by Ben-Hadid was the surrender of the children. The young princesses would then be educated and trained in the purposes of the imperial power and returned home only when ready to serve their overlord. Thus, even if rebellious, they would still be alien to their own people. This practice is still with us, although the form has changed. The modern state demands that all children of the nation be surrendered into its hands for education and training to serve the state's purpose. Not surprisingly, most of the children become enemies of their own parents and rebellious against them. The arrogance of power is still with us. Ben-Hadid is now our elected and appointed officer of the state. Assyria and Ben-Hadid had trapped Ahab within the walls of Samaria with only 7,000 fighting men. Whereas Assyria and its subject states had far in excess of a hundred thousand men. Ahab thus surrendered to this initial demand. Without waiting to put it into effect, Ben-Hadid also demanded the rights of his servants, all his troops, to loot the city at will and without resistance. Instead of Ahab's wealth, 
wives and children being sent to Bet Hadid, the city would have been open to Syrian forces to plunder as they pleased. At this point, Ahab and the elders of Israel resisted. Ben-Hadid made his intention to destroy them all quite clear. Ahab responded with a proverb, quote, Let them not that girdeth on his harness or armor boast himself as that he putteth off. End quote. Only now, when a stand had been decided on, did the Lord act. A prophet appeared to give promise of victory and to offer a plan. 230 young princes, acting as commandos, were to go out. The immense Syrian army did not take them seriously, and the drunken Ben-Hadid stupidly ordered them to be taken alive and brought to him. To take a fighting man alive is a serious disadvantage. Ahab 7,000 quickly joined them, and the leaderless Syrian army collapsed into panic and disorderly flight. Verse 22. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year the king of Syria will come up against thee. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And to do this thing, and take the kings away, and do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their rooms. And number thee an army, like an army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. And we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we will be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadid numbered the Syrians and went up to Apothek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered, were all present, and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore I will deliver thee a great multitude unto thine hand, and ye shall know, I am the Lord. And they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. But the rest fled to Apek, into the city. And there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. And Ben-Hadad fled, and came unto the city, into the inner chamber. And his servants said unto him, 
Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel and peradventure he will save thy life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins, put ropes on their heads, and came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, Is he yet alive? He is my brother. Now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him, and did hastily catch it. And they said, Thy brother Ben-Hadid. And then he said, Go, bring him. Then Ben-Hadid came forth to him, and caused him to come up to the chariot. And Ben-Hadid said unto him, The cities which my father took from your father... I will restore. And thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. And then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with them and sent him away. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 22 through 34. The household officials of Ben-Hadid could not blame their king for his drunkenness at the cause of his defeat. Instead, they blamed the thirty vassal kings and suggested that they be replaced by military officers. Moreover, they declared the local of the battle was problem. The gods of Israel were the gods of the hills. The battle was fought in the hills whereas a battle in the plains would give serious superiority. We know God took great offense to this view. Verse 28 What was involved? Men in the Near East did not deny the existence of some great God behind all things. Rather, they doubted that such a God would be involved in history. The world was dominated by kings who were potential gods and hence divine kings. Behind them were various spirit forces or gods. Kings preceded them who controlled their particular area and nation. The king and nation were the property of God and could be God's children. Ben-Hadid means son of Hadid. Hadid meaning thunder was a Syrian god. Ben-Hadid was thus the son and prodigy of his particular Baal, or Lord, even as Ahab was a child of his Baal. This theology was humanism. It made the gods and the rulers of creation. Gods were divinized men. Zeus among the Greeks was a dead king, the location of his grave was known. God's anger against this theology was not only because it was false, but because it made creation subject to the control of man. Ahab's foreign policy had, as its premise, this same belief that man's way could determine history. 
In two great miracles, the Lord was confounding Syria and demonstrating to Ahab, this is not man's might or way, but the Lord alone who gives victory and determines history, a lesson Ahab refused to accept. The defeat of Syria was dramatic. A hundred thousand foot soldiers were killed. Apak faced with an army in flight, seeking refuge within its walls, apparently closed the city gates. Perhaps at Ben-Hadid's orders, after the king found shelter with the royal guards. The panic-filled army brought down the walls as they struggled to surmount them. Another 27,000 were killed. The city was now defenseless. Ben-Hadid's counselors suggested an attempt to invoke Ahab's mercy. Ahab, dedicated to his dream of an alliance, would prefer Syria as an ally to an enemy or a subject state. Hence, they approached with a show of humility as men under sentence of death with rope around their necks. Ahab called Ben-Hadid brother and insisted upon a covenant or an alliance. But to make a covenant with Ben-Hadid was to deny the covenant with Jehovah. It meant trusting Syria rather than the Lord. It was thus not only an act of apostasy, but of open contempt for God's person and his miraculous victories. Ahab was saying that Syria offered him better protection against Assyria than did the Lord. Ahab acted in faith, albeit not in faith of the Lord, but in his own strategy. Verse 35. And a certain man of the sons of prophets said unto his neighbor in the word of the Lord, Smite thee, I pray thee. And the man refused to smite him. And he said to him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. And then he found another man, and said, Smite thee, I pray thee. And the man smote him, so that in smiting he wounded him. So the prophet departed, and waited for the king by the way, and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, saying, Thy servant went out in the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside, and brought a man unto me, and said, Keep this man. But if by any means he be missing, he shall be life for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. As thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be. Thyself hath decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets, and he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people 
for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. First Kings chapter 20 verse 35 through 43. The issue was still the same here as at Mount Carmel. God versus Baal. The Lord's way versus man's way. Ahab trust was in his own devices. No less than Ben-Hadid. He was guilty of the arrogance of power. He knew the better that God was the right way. The Syrian belittled God by limiting the power to the hills. Ahab belittled God even more. And God, who twice gave him the victory, was denied in every area. Ahab denied God, knowing his power. Because he rejected the price of that power, which was covenant faithfulness, Ahab wanted no part of God and his covenant law. He assumed that having rejected God, he could then proceed on his own, and he assumed it was possible to step outside God's government and move into a neutral area where man's government could operate and prevail. He was thereby limiting God's power as surely as the Syrians did. The arrogance of humanistic power is that it assumes a neutral zone where God's power does not prevail where man can work out his plans to his heart's content. Ahab found God's covenant law restrictive. His foreign policy offered, he felt, hope to all the little nations of the area against Assyria. God's covenant law and promises to him were unmindful of the big picture, of the totality of the concerns of nations and problems. Ahab was ready to work with God and to accept God's help, but only if God would work with him. An enacted parable followed which set forth God's, quote, intolerance, unquote. One son of the prophets with a revelation from God demanded that his neighbor strike him. The man refused, and he was sentenced to death by a lion. The lesson is clear. Not even a prophet can sit in judgment on the word of God. Another then struck the son of the prophet, who then either put ashes to simulate perhaps battle dust, or as some translated, bandages over his face. When Ahab passed by, the young man appealing to Ahab said that he was a soldier a very valuable prisoner worth a talent of silver and ransom. A very goodly amount was entrusted to him. The condition of trust was that he either forfeit his life if he lost him, or pay the ransom himself, an impossible amount for an ordinary soldier. He lost the man, and now, he said, he was appealing to Ahab for stay of execution. Ahab curtly refused. The young prophet then revealed himself, saying, You have judged yourself before God. Ben-Hadid was entrusted to you by God for execution. Because you have released him, your life 
and your nation are now forfeited before God. To read this chapter without reference to current affairs is to sin. Men and nations today operate as though most of the world is a morally neutral zone in which man's way and wisdom can prevail. As a result, they are antinomian and faithless to the covenant. The terms of God's covenants are God's law. Where there is no covenant, there is nothing but judgment. Two basic aspects of the covenant are First, the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 through 22. And, second, law. The blood signifies the death penalty for violation of the covenant law. The law is the terms of the covenant. God in his grace provides Jesus Christ as our covenantal head. His death is the satisfaction of the covenant law and our restoration into the covenant fellowship. We are now given the spirit of obedience to delight in God's law and the spirit is joy within us that the blood of Jesus Christ has redeemed us from rebellion into faith and obedience. The modern day Ahabs are all around us in pulpit and pew and in offices of state. They will be judged no less than were Ahab and Jezebel. The arrogance of humanistic power is always brought low and broken 